first thing that you do uh, here in your life is to try to do a pee. It's hurtful. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 38 of the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's having trouble pissing after riding. Hey there, semi pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi Pro Cycling home of the semi-pro cyclist and this week i want to start off with some reviews i got four reviews so tough it out with me number one pro podcast from curtis you my semi-pro potential passed long ago but not the need to maintain fitness and do miles i love this podcast informative and inspiring damien is obviously very passionate about cycling and creatively delivers well-researched information with infectious enthusiasm love it love it love it thank you curtis you number two i'm hooked the Diva 1970 just found this podcast the other day and I'm hooked. Problem is, I now have 35 podcasts to catch up with. Keep up the good work and it's something else to look forward to every Thursday. Sandman Rides, that, my friend, is a high quality problem. Number three, love this show by Boston Arban. This is a great podcast that covers pro cycling races and tips and tricks to riding. I look forward to each episode each week and I love the mystery quote at the beginning of the show. Keep on doing a good job, Damien. Thank you very much, Mr. Boston. I really do appreciate that. And the final one, Best Cycling Podcast for Enthusiasts by Brad Cooley. I'm a 52-year-old Cat 1 mountain biker training mostly on the road this year for the Trans-Pyrenees Tour in June. I love this podcast for its training tips, pro news, and technical topics. Damien always presents well-researched, up-to-date discussions on a broad range of topics for the serious cyclist. Amazingly, he always seems to cover new topics each week, and his guests and insightful interviews are excellent. Thanks for the effort and great journalism, Damien, I always look forward to the next episode. Bradley, I am stoked that you wrote that interview. It really does mean a lot to me, and and it sounds like a pretty cool adventure riding the Trans-Pyrenees. I'm totally into that, and I'd love to find out more about it. It sounds really exciting, and I bet you're amped to get there too. And a reminder to everybody listening that the iTunes reviews are what you can pay me back with if you love this show. I really appreciate the time it takes to get into iTunes and write a review. So thank you, everybody that has done it so far. And those that haven't, thanks in advance. But let's move on to the news. And what can you say about Cancellara? Spartacus rising Hot diggity dog. It is absolutely amazing watching him smash it out on the Eau de Quarmont, taking Sagan with him, but not before unleashing on the Paderberg to solo in for the win. While in the end, Sagan didn't have the legs to go with Cancellara, his immaturity shows when he went to the front on Cancellara's request. And I got to say, there is a big lesson there. Don't go to the front if you don't have the legs, because as soon as Cancellara sat in, and he came around for his next turn. That's when he turned it on and spat Sagan out the back. And yes, of course, Sagan's immaturity continued off the bike. It's not cool, dude. you got to find a better way to be a rock star. You are a rock star, but that just doesn't fly anymore. And i got to say, your apology was absolute crap. You were reading something. You weren't giving a heartfelt apology. So 
dude, I just can't give you credit for off-the-bike behavior at the moment, even though sometimes you're pretty funny. The big one for this week is Roubaix, though. Roubaix, the hell of the north. I'm going to be glued to the TV on Sunday. I am so amped. I've got coverage. I've got a half-decent small TV sitting in the corner of a room, but that's where I'll be, and I will be on Twitter as well. And if you're going to be watching it live and you want to talk during the race, then just jump on Twitter and we can just shit talk about the race because after all, it can be pretty lonely watching races sometimes. My pick is Cancellara. Much like Boonen's form last year, I just can't go past the man. He knows how to ride cobbles. He knows how to do it in style. And Nobody can hold his wheel when he really turns it on. The big thing here is going to be how far is he going to go out from? Last year when Boonen went, I had no idea what he was doing. He was blowing my mind by going 50Ks to the finish or whenever it was. He was that confident that he was going to come away with it. And he's got wins already under his belt. I'm sure he thinks that this is the way to really cement your name into history. And I'm sure Cancellara was watching from his hospital bed or wherever, wherever he was last year thinking exactly the same thing. And now that he's got the form and Boone is not even in the race, not that he would have been a contender anyway, but it will be very interesting. And either way, bring it on. In other quick news, this guy... I haven't signed any contracts yet. Caleb Ewan. Caleb Ewan has done what every rider probably wants to do when they start off their career. He's won his first European race, his first under-23 European race out of 194 riders in Italy. Absolutely smashed it. I've got the clip in the show notes if you want to see it. It was an easy win for him. There was no trouble at all. There was one guy that was on his wheel. Maybe he could have given him trouble, and that's why he was so pissed. He slipped his foot out of his pedal. He couldn't get it back in, and he dummy spat so hardcore that he threw his bidden down in disgust before he even got to the line. Such a classic move. You've got to go watch the clip to check that out. Okay, so the nuts and bolts this week. It's going to be a little different, but stay with me because I do think Everybody that listens to this show can get some benefit from this. It's about the cycling lifestyle. Well, it's kind of about everything that surrounds that, including training, but also habits and balance and using the bike to commute. I invited Tony Stewart onto the show, and he's from jodaprocycling.com. It's a blog that has run through from his absolute zero, 10 years of no sport, but no cycling experience whatsoever. He's three or four years into his journey, and he has rapidly moved up because I think his awareness of cycling and what it takes to be a good cyclist and his appreciation of the art of cycling plus the science means that he actually writes down very interesting thoughts on his blog. It's morphed into something else now, and he actually is a part owner of a bike shop, but his insights that are on his blog coming from the perspective of a new cyclist and someone that's using cycling to better themselves is very refreshing. Tony, welcome to the show and thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm not really sure exactly how I came across your blog, but I really enjoyed reading the entire thing and I actually did do that on the weekend, which on your website you can read it in a PDF form, which is a great way just to get a handle on everything. I think it was over 600 pages, but anyway... I really loved how the magic of cycling sort of slowly started exposing itself to you. And I also appreciate your honesty by sharing your ups and downs through your competitive cycling journey and just sort of starting that journey. I don't know you very well and I don't want to be presumptuous, but is it fair to say that cycling has transformed your life? 
Yeah, I would say uh, absolutely. And there's a number of reasons for that we can get into, but um, I think cycling in general has a kind of transformation process that can happen if you let it. Yeah, go into it. What are some things that have changed in your life? Well, I think the first thing is, I mean, I, I was always into sport. You know, through college and university, I was playing American football and uh, track and field, more of a jumper. And so I'd always had more high-impact sport that I'd been a part of. And then I turned 30, and I was way overweight. My cholesterol was super high. And going to what I'd known uh, as far as sport just wasn't going to be an option because it hurt too much. And so I started just riding a bike around a lake that we have here. It's about a nine-mile loop. And what I started to find is not only was I losing weight very quickly, my body didn't hurt as much, but the time on the bike was good thinking time. It was time out in a way. You know, you can't be on your phone and doing a bunch of different things at once when you're riding a bike. You're pretty much forced to focus. And a lot of people have talked about how the turning of the pedal can sometimes become almost meditative. And I found that to be very calming. Riding a bike helped me fall in love with my city because I was seeing it for the first time instead of just driving past everything. And so what was started to happen is as I started to get into much better shape in an endurance sport, which I never thought I'd be any good at an endurance sport, as I started to realize I'm actually getting fit enough I could compete again. I could actually compete in sport again in my 30s and on for a while. And that just kind of reconnected me with some of that kind of boyish play that you lose in sport sometimes and in life that uh, I think is really valuable for what I would consider a wholeness of who you are from work and play and family. You need to have those, those things kind of built into your life. So from there, I started competing and have just had a lot of fun since then being in the lifestyle of cycling to the point now where I switched careers and had the opportunity to become a part owner in a bike shop in my city. And that's what I do full time now is help people get into the same sort of experience that I've had from very much zero to competing and, and having a lot of fun. It's pretty crazy. And I can actually associate with a lot of the things you said there in regards to discovering your city, the meditation qualities, the alone time on a bike and, and how that transforms your mind and thinking about things that you process during the week or whatever. A big part of it I see in any change like this is habits and how habits are formed and how you go about creating new habits. Are there any habits that stand out to you that, that you've adopted since this change has happened? Uh, yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of the things as I started to get fit enough to think about riding to work and commuting was trying to make that lifestyle work. Uh, the habit of when I think of going somewhere, instead of thinking I need to turn a key and drive a car, I need to turn a pedal. And starting to reorganize my life around uh, commuting by bicycle as well as it being what I like to compete in and stay fit with. And so that, that just the habit of changing your mindset on how you experience travel um, has been you know, definitely helpful. But you have to plan that out. I mean, especially here in, where I live in, in Oklahoma and in America, a lot of the communities are new enough that they were never walking cities. They were always cities with some form of uh, motorized or even horse-drawn kind of transportation. So there's not a lot of walkable parts of our city. So every Sunday night, I, I had to stop and kind of think and, and work with my wife. I have four kids, so... Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in our family, and so I have to kind of pull back and look at the week and think, okay, which weeks am I commuting by bike, or which weeks can I do that group ride, or what races are coming up that I want to be a part of, and how do I continue to honor relationships and honor the work that I have to do and still have time on the bike? Um, so I'd say there's one habit that's helped the most as far as making cycling work. It's that half hour, 45 minutes on Sunday nights to kind of pull back, look at the week, and make sure it's all doable. So is this part of a long-term plan for you? Like, I feel like you're just getting started in cycling, even though over the last three or four years or however long it's been that you've accomplished quite a lot and now moving into a bike shop. But is this part of how you believe that you're going to be able to sustain cycling over the longer term? 
I do. I do. And that's what I think what's good about trying to figure out how it integrates into not just, you know, instead of going to a gym, you jump on the bike, which I think is valuable, um, but really make it a lifelong thing. You have to figure out how it integrates other parts of your life. And that's where, you know, I, I mean, I race on the, uh, as, as I can, trying to get as strong as possible. But there's some weeks where time's limited, but at least I still have commuting. I have a 10-mile ride into our bike shop. So I can do intervals in the morning and recovery ride at home at night. And it's not perfect, but it's still able to keep it integrated into what I do because it's how I get places, not just what I do to stay fit. And that's just been the pursuit is figuring out how it naturally fits in there in my life and how I want to live. And so it is definitely a long-term thing. You're so much less anxious when you're riding a bike versus trying to drive a car through traffic and everything else. It's just, in my mind, it's a lower stress way to live. You brought up the competitive stuff so that you are involved with racing, which I want to get to in a bit. But as far as incorporating cycling into your life, when it comes down to being competitive, it really can move into the realm of burnout. If if you're just yeah. working to train, you're not getting out there and actually renewing your joy of cycling. If, if you're just putting in the hours that are so focused, you're not even looking up to see the view or anything, you know, at a certain level. I do know that you've interviewed a, a few... Uh, long-term competitive cyclists for your blog. Do you have any insights yeah. into the secret to their longevity? I think the the people that have been around that have been competitive for a long time, there's lifestyle cycling where you're training all the time and you have goals in your training and those are good. Um, a lot of the training methodologies out there, especially Joe Friel, have you changing your hours every week. So you'll do 14 and 16 and 18 hours and then back to 12. And if all you have to do is train, that's fantastic. But if you're living a normal life, you usually have so many hours a week that a good week makes by getting on the bike, meaning you have 12 hours a week that you have that commitment with the people in your life, with what you have at work, that those time slots are sacred to go and ride the bike. And that's repeatable for you, but changing all the time means you're always renegotiating with yourself and others when you're riding and when you're not riding. And I find that that leads to burnout pretty quickly. And a lot of the guys that I respect that are real competitive and have been for a long time, they just ride. They ride every week. They're going to ride between, you know, some of those guys, eight to 10 hours. The guys that are better, you know, competitively are usually 12 to 18 hours. And they just change how they ride, how they train for what's coming up next. And in finding how you can have that consistent time in your week to ride is important. But switching the hours all the time, I find, and those guys find as well, usually would burn them out because they'd have to amp up, you know, emotionally to ride 18, 20 hours a week, which one kind of exhausts you, but it also is asking more of the people around you in your life, um, which is an even greater drain. I think going up and down like that all the time, I just, just creates chaos. So if there's one tip I would say is um, the guys I find that compete for a long time have that time slot they know works for cycling, and they don't necessarily up the hours to increase you know, the intensity. They just change how they ride. They focus more on intervals when it gets close to criterion season. And when it's base season, those rides are a little more relaxed, and they, they change how they ride, but not always changing their time each week moving the conversation more into this life balance and and how cycling fits into that there was a guy that did a guest post on your blog talking about his compromise is that he gets up at 4 a.m every morning Mm -hmm. where your approach is more fitting it into any spare time that you have yeah how does that work with your family so is essentially your family and your other commitments are dictating when you have time or is there a time when you have to put your foot down and say that i'm just wasting all of my cycling, if I'm not getting out on the bike this much over the week? I mean, definitely, it's, it's, a, it's, it's both. I mean, there's, I kind of look at, that's part of what that Sunday time is, is I look at my week and see when the time is that I can 
be on the bike and riding. You know, if I could take, I mean, obviously I can always get up a little bit earlier, but I want to help the kids get to school. So for me, it's a matter of managing my energy level too. I mean, I can really, I could try and do what Chad did who on that interval gets up at uh, four o'clock and rides his trainer a lot. I know personally for who I am and how I'm built, if I was doing that, man, three weeks of that and I'd be smoked. Like I, I would just be done. And so for me, it has to do with just trying to find the times that are open for my family. So in the early part of the week for me is the heavier uh, training time. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I have more time on the bike. And then Thursday and Friday is a little less time, which also helps me kind of get ready for any events I have coming on the weekend. So my family and I have just gotten used to know that uh, Monday and Tuesday nights, a lot of times, I won't, I won't be back right after work. I'll be out riding with friends or doing some training. But then Thursdays and Fridays, as we head towards the weekend, I'm much more available for games and family time and that sort of stuff with them. It's kind of an arrangement. I have those times where I can just ride straight home and it takes me 30 minutes. Um, or I can do a two-hour ride and get some training in earlier in the week and, and kind of match it up right. So I think you have to know your personality and know what's going to energize you to keep moving forward. A lot of people just love the challenge and love the goal and going after early in the morning and our early morning people. For me, I, I have to kind of adjust. Okay, so just moving into the world of local cycling and community, I see that you place a lot of emphasis on this in your writing and obviously it's played a big role in getting you into cycling and feeling like you're a cyclist and, and helping you become competitive and learn the ropes like any beginner does. Something that really stuck out to me when I was reading your blog was well, I'll paraphrase, and it was more about the belonging, and the belonging that we desire is sometimes created by excluding others and pushing ourselves into small niches and elite opinions. That was really interesting to me because cycling is very clicky, and if you were a beginner, it would be very hard, in my opinion, to get into certain groups. There may be reasons why you wouldn't even want to get into those groups, but what was your experience uh, with experienced cyclists? when you were a beginner? I think that, I mean, I think cycling culture itself appreciates people who don't give up. And um, when I was first starting, there were plenty of guys who were starting with me. And we'd go on the group ride that, you know, I would have a, a lap counter on my, my garment and I would just try to see if I could last longer each time. But even when I got dropped off the back, I would never quit. I would always just keep hammering, trying to go as fast as I could to see if I could catch back in. Because I like that kind of challenge, and I never wanted to give up. And that's just part of how I'm kind of built around cycling in that way. And there's other guys that would just you know, take the pressure off and coast in real easy after they got dropped. And I found, uh, for my personality and how I'm built, that when I would push like that, the guys that were experienced, if they saw that I had fallen off the back but that I was still hammering it, they would soft pedal a little bit and let me catch back on. And then I could go afterwards and grab some beers and, and pick their mind about racing and riding and everything else. And I think even in those elite circles – part of the culture of cycling, especially competitively, is there's a certain, I don't know if it's a code or what it is, but it's, uh, you kind of can tell the people who mentally are going to stick with it and, and compete well are those who just like the idea of racing but give up easily. And that belonging thing for me was, was a lot riding hard, not worrying about if I got dropped because fitness takes time to develop, and then always trying to see if I could grab a beer or grab a lunch and hang out with some guys that had been riding and just listen to their stories. And um, that connection helped a lot. Uh, finding out one about the culture of cycling in my city, what it's like around here, uh, it's pretty much just flat. So there's a lot of a lot of criteriums and a lot of you know arrow wheels are a huge benefit around here because we don't have any hills. Um, and just hearing what the races are like and, and learning from those guys really helped me be encouraged to to check out competitive racing and getting into it. 
I think that's really good advice, actually, because what I've noticed when there have been beginners in the bunches that I've been riding, that I respect the people with heart a lot more. So you're right, like as far as the fitness, it does take time to build up, but you can definitely recognize the people that the way they approach the sport and probably the way they approach everything Mm -hmm. as far as they're just giving it everything they have at that moment in time, which goes a long way because as soon as you start building fitness, you need that more and more. It just doesn't come to you, does it? It, No. That stays with you and you have to develop that even further to be a really good cyclist. Yeah, I don't think everyone recognizes their journey of getting fit or even someone who's been running for a long time who doesn't ride for a while, how hard it is to get back into that fitness that it takes a certain mentality. And I think having the mentality of, of confidence, self-assuredness, there's, there's a confidence there of I'm okay with my level of fitness. I'm just not going to give up where I'm at. And even if that means I get dropped, I get dropped. But I still keep going hard. And every week I set a new goal to get better. And the, those niches or niches, <laughs> I say niches here, of cyclists that are more elitist still respect somebody who, even if their fitness is lacking, is willing to work hard and show up every week and, and step up to the challenge. And honestly, it's easier to get better when you're not the best in the group. When you're not the best in the group, your only focus is staying in that group. When you get good enough that things feel a little easy, well, then you're having a hard time pushing yourself because sometimes you're either waiting on people or the group's just not strong enough to make you help you go to the next level. Yeah, definitely. The advantage of riding a wheel when you're at your limit and learning how to ride based on somebody else's movements is so valuable for getting further in cycling, I think. What advice would you have for experienced riders when they see beginners? I know we've kind of touched on it, but do you have any specific advice you could offer? I think as an experienced person, it's always good to remember how you started. It's real easy to get to a certain level and then just kind of poke fun at people or think that people are lame because they're at a certain level in cycling and everyone starts at a different place. And I think it's important for elite cyclists to always provide instruction and encouragement, but you don't have to be their crutch. They got to get strong if they're going to get strong. And so like I know how some guys helped me. I'd be in a group and I'd be working real hard and we'd be towards the top of a hill and a guy might give me a little bit of a push to get up over that hill, but that was it. I had to hang in the rest of the time. But the, and the group wasn't going to slow down because of me because they needed to get their workout and they needed to go strong. And if they slow down, not only am I not getting as strong as I could by getting back in there, uh, they're losing their fitness as well. And so I think there's, there's this tension, there's this tightrope to walk where if you, you, you speak respectfully with people and give them good advice and you know, say, hey, if you don't get in this draft, you're going to get dropped. And we're going to keep riding, so you know the route. But if you can get in there, you'll be all right. You know, some encouragement and some advice for people as they're working hard, I think, helps. And just respecting their journey as much as you would want yours to be respected. You write a lot about cycling as seductive and hypnotizing. But um, it's basically placing a lot of focus on the mental toughness that is required in racing. What is your relationship with the mental side of cycling? You just touched on it in some ways when you're talking about groups and things. But how have you tried to develop your mental side? Well, you know, I think, I think the thing that's helped it most is commuting, um, where it's not an option. Every day I've got to at least ride to work. Every day I've got to get back on the bike. Uh, even if it's an easy ride, I've had to get back on the bike. And there's a, I think there's a real mental edge um, that comes from riding is not an option, either ride or not. And I say that on a day-to-day where it's 37 degrees and pouring rain. <laughs> and it had been a great mental day to ride, but I probably would have had pneumonia when I got done. But I think mentally, it's, it's a matter of uh, kind of sticking to your commitments. If you're committed to do a workout, if you're committed to um, riding on a certain day, when you don't do that, when you let yourself off, I think that you start to build some mental weakness in a race when you know you could make that move. It's just going to take winning the race the hard way. You're going to let yourself off there too and not do what it takes to ride hard. Um, 
So I think the small daily commitments are what build that mental strength to ride hard. And so if you're letting yourself off of workouts, if you miss workouts regularly, if you miss days that you committed to riding on a regular basis, I think in the race you're going to find that you're going to miss moves. You're not going to have that mental toughness to do what it takes to compete at higher and higher levels. And that would be, that would be I think, the, the way that I try to uh, and, and, you know, try and fail. You know, it's a whole process to build that kind of toughness is, is actually in the daily habits that it matters the most, that it builds that sort of resiliency to have some toughness when you're in the midst of a race because you're used to making the hard choice. Yeah, that's really good advice. I like that. One of your first posts in regards to your training talks about riding in your comfort zone and how you realized that this wasn't actually going to produce the results that you wanted. Mm-hmm. What were your first steps in getting serious about training? Well, I'm a reader, so I read everything I could get my hands on, <laughs> and I just wanted to have an idea of what the what the process was. There was there was an emotional part for me that being overweight and being that way for quite a while. I mean, I've lost 55 pounds since I've started cycling. There's a way that you feel you're kind of stuck there. That somehow, even though science says these results can happen, you don't believe it because it doesn't feel like it could happen. And there was a certain part for me where I needed to educate my mind and help me realize that there's a reality out there where I can be strong, I can be fast, I can be lean. It just takes these steps to to go after it. So that's how I learn and how I process it. I had to educate myself first and take a look at the facts. Um, And then at first, I think when you're beginning, you need to be more regimented. As As you grow as a cyclist and get more years under your belt and start to learn yourself better, it becomes more natural and fluid and you may not need to have how long you're going to ride on what day at what time and what sort of workout you're going to do exactly. You may not need that as much as you get more experienced, but at first you absolutely need it because you don't know what reality is. Uh, you know, you do go out to do six one-minute all-out efforts. You don't realize that you probably don't have the fitness yet to do three like that. You just need to go out there and put those workouts together and be very regimented in what you're doing to understand it. So my first steps was just going out and doing some of those workouts, finding online and through Joe Friel's book and some other resources what are some workouts and going out and trying them and feeling them and, and just kind of building that palette of what it looks like to train hard in these different intensity levels because it matters in a race. Um, and I think making the mental connection of, okay, I'm doing this interval right now because this is in a race. It's at this point in the race that I need it. And I would try to visualize that part of the race when I was doing that kind of interval. So when I get to the race, I also have a familiarity to grab onto of what this is going to feel like and how long it needs to last. When you were first putting your training plans together, you were self-coaching. I'm not sure. Are you still self-coached? Yeah, I am. I've, yeah, I am so far. I mean, I, I absolutely see the value in having a coach. And I do you know, make commitments with myself to get things done. But also owning a business and still being in the first year doing that. I actually had a coach for a couple months that was very, very helpful. But the regimen was too hard with the flexibility I needed for running a business and starting a new shop. So uh, it's my hope for 2013 to continue to self-coach, and as we get into 14, to potentially get a coach again uh, to help me get to the next level. The rhythm I have right now, my goal every week is to ride 15 hours a week, and there's sometimes I have that I'm going to be riding no matter what, so that's the commuting side of it. And there's other group rides and races and, and events that I, I, I add into those 15 hours, but because I know I'm going to be riding during those times, I can do workouts that match those. For instance, starting in a big gear and doing a jump for 15 seconds and then holding the speed you get to for another 15 seconds, that works great at stoplights. When I get stopped at a light, I put it into a big gear and I hammer it out for 15 seconds, hold that gear for 15 seconds, and it's a great power interval. And on my commute in in 10 miles, I can probably get 10 to 12 of those accomplished. 
so I fit the kind of training I know I need to get done into the time slots that are consistent for me. And when I get to every fourth to sixth week and I start to feel the fatigue of putting those kind of hard efforts together, um, then I'll just, I'll just, I'll ride easy on my commute and on the different group rides I'm on, I'll also change how I ride as I go about doing my training. So I'm finding that the one, uh, when you don't have to worry about when you're going to go ride, you just know you have this slot and you have different kinds of riding you can do. I think that for me, it's a little easier to do the hard stuff then because I'm not trying to figure out what time I need to go do what. I know I just have this time and I need to go do it. And so how are you measuring this? Are you measuring it purely based on feel? I do know you have a power meter. Do you measure it on training stress score or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I look at stress scores each week, trying to make sure if I'm trying to have a higher stress week that I'm actually accomplishing that, which I think is invaluable. Power meters are invaluable for that. And for all the different intervals and stuff, I have an idea of like what my you know threshold power is. So if I'm doing a 10 or 20 minute interval at threshold power, even if it's again in that commute, which commuting is kind of half of my ride and the other half is group rides and training times that I have, um, then I'm definitely informed in that process with a power meter uh, to make sure that I'm getting better. And that's what I love about power meters is they're, they're the truth. Uh, you can't fake it. Uh, you can't have too much coffee and have your heart rate high and, uh, and then all of a sudden you, it's like you're doing a hard interval but you just have a high heart rate or didn't get enough sleep. And the power meter is the brutal truth and it really helps to inform if you're getting better, how much stress you put on your body. And it helps you accomplish a workout for it to be effective with what you're trying to do. You put all the effort already into planning it, taking the time and getting on the bike. You don't want to cheapen the experience by then not doing the workout. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I'm right there with you. And I am really fascinated by your integrated approach, I think, the way that you're doing it. And then having numbers to back up everything that you're doing as well is a really smart way to incorporate commuting. But that's all I've got. That's all the questions I've got for you today. And Really, there's a lot of value in there as as far as your journey is concerned because moving from a beginner so quickly and sort of you have been knocking off all of your goals, but your entire approach is quite slow and steady and realistic, which does mean that longevity is definitely possible when it comes yeah. to your health and fitness. So that's pretty exciting. And thanks for getting people involved with cycling through the bike shop, your blog and, and everything you do because... Uh, at the end of the day, that's kind of why I'm here as well, because I really want to encourage people to continue riding and then just becoming better at, at what they're doing and setting their own goals that they're knocking off year after year. Where can people find you? Where can they get hold of you? Uh, well, my, my cycling blog is joetoprocycling.com. My name's not Joe. It's just like everyday Joe. Uh, I started at zero. I started 55 pounds overweight and 10 years out of sports. So I figured... I was going to go for elite. I was starting as a Joe, where a lot of people are starting at on their couch watching races and wishing they could go do something like that. So, uh, JoeToProCycling.com is where you can find my blog, and Charlie'sBicycleLab.com is the bike shop that I'm a part of. And if you want to come check it out? You can see uh, see our shop and see where we're located at. And if you're ever in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, we'd love to take care of you. Cool. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, so this week in the tech hacks and products section, I've got a hack. I was riding some intervals the other day and something popped into my head. Well, it was essentially, it was about my face, so it popped into my face, but that's dumb and I'm not going to go there. I'm sure many of you are starting to increase your intensity as well, moving into a build phase of the program before we get to our seasons. And one hack that I want to point out is don't make a pain face. Now, it sounds pretty simple in theory, but there's a whole lot of things that can happen once you start focusing on that area and it flows down to your body. But what I mean is when you're in the pain cave, you've got to be relaxed and it starts with the face. So no squinting, grimacing, or scrunching your face every time you're in the pain cave because it really does absolutely nothing for your mind 
and your performance. It's a total waste of energy, in fact. And if you start with the face, then the shift downwards occurs through your shoulders and then your arms and then your grip. And eventually your whole upper body is relaxed so that you can move your power from the hips, which is where you want your focus to be anyway, not up at your face. So you can see how far the two are disconnected and shouldn't be related to each other when it comes to putting the hurt down. It's going to be an awesome reinforcer if you can train your face to be relaxed when you are in the hurt box and also when you're in the hurt box or putting other people in the hurt box, it will drive them crazy. And a slight tangent, something that when I wrote this down, I was thinking of, is there anything that you do or play down when you are writing to put someone in the hurt box? Two of my favorites are If I'm passing someone, I take a couple of deep breaths and then essentially I'm holding my breath when I'm looking at them. And so they think I'm not even hurting. That's one classic. Another one which I absolutely love is if I'm turning the pace up a hill while I'm still in the saddle, I'm grabbing a bitten at the same time. Damn, I am so sneaky. I'm sure you have something that's similar. Let me know on Twitter. I would love to hear what you do to psych out anyone that you race with. But anyway, to the pain face, try this out. When you're riding next time and you're doing an interval or turning the heat up a little bit, I want you to try and consciously think about what your face is doing and relax it. A couple of ways to do this. The first one is just by relaxing your jaw. So if you just relax your jaw, hopefully you will feel the effect flow down to the rest of your body. Another way to do it, which is my absolute favorite way of doing it, is just channeling Cadle's blubber face. I don't know if you've ever seen him ripping it up a hill, but his face is just pure blubber. His bottom chin could be down on the ground and his lips are just moving around. It kind of looks like he's crying, which he had a bit of a rep for being a bit of a sook, but this dude is tough and he just puts on this face so he can push through the pain and smash everyone that he's riding with. That's my tip. I hope you get something from that because it sounds simple, but it will add a lot to your riding. Now the quote, let's get to the quote from the top of the show. Did you get it? Well, it's Johan Lion of Flanders Museo, he's a Paris-Roubaix winner from 96, 2000, and 2002. There is a pretty cool clip that that comes from. It's called A Throw of the Dice. It's a bit dramatized, but it's kind of fun in the way that it builds up the feeling behind Roubaix, and especially the way that Johan Museo had crushed himself in that race Two years previously, he nearly lost the leg and he came back and won it two years later. It's a pretty amazing story, shrunk down into 15 minutes of a clip. So I recommend you check it out and I've got the link in the show notes. But that is it. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. You can learn it, but you're never going to be a good climber. That's the same on the cobbles. Uh, you can be in the front, but if the real guy is going full on the cobbles, you're dropped. That's it, that's very okay. You have to think about yourself and your team. Just about yourself and forget the rest. Don't think about anybody. If somebody crashed, you have to jump over them. That's Paris-Roubaix.